Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast, a show focused on inspiring and empowering you to become a better writer. Come along as we deconstruct the tips, routines, and motivations of your favorite authors. In the end, it's all about getting your story onto the page. Welcome to episode 73, How Anjuli and Jetty Writes. Anjuli and Jetty is an award-winning essayist and novelist. I was so excited to interview her because she has two books about to be published, and this interview was recorded about a month before they started hitting the market, both a fiction and a nonfiction book of essays. But as interesting as that is, the stories behind her writing, how long she has had to keep going to keep writing and writing and writing to get these books published it is so truly inspiring. This is a great interview in perseverance and pushing through, sticking with things for a long period of time. I think you're really going to like this one. I want to say thank you to Anjali for her time. And now, my friends, without any further ado, here is the interview with Anjali and Jetty. Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast. I am your host, Brian, and today's very special guest is Anjali and Jetty. Anjali is an award-winning essayist who writes about books, politics, and social justice. Her work has appeared in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Al Jazeera, Boston Globe, Washington Post, as well as many, many other venues. Southbound, Essays on Identity, Inheritance, and Social Change is an upcoming release of essays by Anjali that will be released on April 15th, 2021, so like nine days away from this recording, and and her debut novel, which I'm really struggling to like wrap my head around, so something we're going to talk about, The Parted Earth, will be released in the United States on May 4th, 2021, so like three weeks apart, which is crazy. Anyways. Anjali teaches creative writing in the MFA program at Reinhardt University and lives with her family near Atlanta. Anjali, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Brian. I'm so thrilled to be here. Yeah, and um, so I- I'm so excited to talk to you. Th- this is the um, third time we've had this scheduled, had to reschedule a couple times, so I'm glad glad it's coming together. Uh, before we started recording... I was saying this is a very special interview <laughs> episode for me. This is the How Writers Write RV edition. So this is the first time I'm doing an interview in my fifth wheel. Uh, and we're going to see how it sounds. We're going to see how it goes. It. We're going to roll up the punches. I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah. If you hear like an air horn or like something exploding in the distance, it's just something in an RV park, which has been a fun, fun experience. Um, anyways, so let's dive into this. I, I have to first start out with the most obvious question, which is how in the world are you releasing two books within like a three week span? Like what has your life been like trying to write both an essay book and a fiction book over the past couple of years? So I should start out by saying that I know, I mean, it really makes me sound like I'm some like dynamite productive writer, which is not really exactly the case. Um, so, uh, the Parted Earth is actually the seventh book I've tried to get published, and Southbound is the sixth book. So I've been writing books for many, many years, close to 20 years, and mm-hmm. it took me 11 years of submitting multiple books before I got my first book contract. So 
the timeline was that I, I actually started writing The Parted Earth in late 2011, uh, early 2012. And that book was pretty much finished and I was submitting it to agents and small press editors long before I even thought about Southbound. Um, the first book that I tried to publish was also a collection of essays, but it was a very different collection of essays. So when I started getting the idea of Southbound, um, I was finished with The Parted Earth and just kind of assumed that that book would go the way of all my other books, which was nowhere, absolutely mm -hmm. nowhere, rejection <laughs> after rejection after rejection. Um, but um, I had the idea for um, Southbound and then I started working on that proposal. So essentially The Parted Earth was finished and I was doing a lot of the edits for it at the same time that I was writing Southbound after I sold Southbound on proposal. But I wasn't exactly writing up them at the same time. And now having said that, like the parts that did overlap, like the copy editing process mm -hmm. and page proofs and writing the acknowledgements, I was kind of doing a lot of that work at the same time. So that was a little nerve wracking. And a lot of this was coming to head in the fall of 2020. And I'm an organizer trying to get out the vote. So it was, you know, that was kind of challenging. Yeah. Was, was there a lie. big event? Was there a big event or something in 2020? Was there something that happened yeah, just that a year? Little, it was a little busy for all of us <laughs> and in a global pandemic. So, um, <laughs> I, you know, looking back, I'm not quite sure how I survived that. I mean, I just yeah. remember dreading checking my email thinking, <laughs> oh my God, please don't, please neither of my publishers ask anything of me for the next X amount of weeks. But, um, but, you know, I feel very lucky because I, you know, as I mentioned, seven books trying to get published. It's a lot of books. It's a lot of failure it's a lot of low self-esteem and episodes of depression through this publishing process. So, um, you know, I feel so lucky to have one book, let alone two books out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, there's, there's people, there's people out listening to this episode that are going to, there's going to be two camps of people. Camp one is going to feel a little relief, right? Cause maybe they've been at this game for a while and have had the same level of rejection. And then there's another camp of people who are like, I'm going to publish this thing right away, who maybe are feeling like, wow, maybe it's not as linear of a process as what it seems. Maybe there's more, you know, ups and downs to it. And so if we take those two camps, what would you say to somebody sitting out there being like, I think this isn't for me. I've been trying, I'm on book five or I'm on book 10 and nothing's been published. Nothing's been picked up. What were the thoughts or beliefs? What, what did it take for you to keep pushing through in order to get kind of to this, this state that you're at now? You know, that's an interesting question, Brian. First, I want to say is that I am so not about romanticizing this process at yeah. all, because <laughs> I think that's part of what made it so difficult for me is mm. that I kept hearing things like keep submitting and your dreams will come true bullshit. I mean, can I swear on this? You can do whatever podcast? you want. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I kept hearing that utter total crap and it actually just made me feel so much worse as a writer. I was like, oh, well, I guess, you know, I'm not trying hard enough or maybe I have a terrible attitude or, you know, I mean, my personality is off, which, you know, th there is reason to <laughs> believe that. But um, so, so I would say, look, I mean, I want to be writer's biggest cheerleaders. I want to, I mean, I believe in you and I, I want you to be the writer 
that proves me wrong, that shows me that like, look, you can write this outstanding book and you can get an agent the year later and then have a book contract a year after that and then become a best-selling author. I wish that for everybody. But I also feel like it's important for me to be transparent, not because I want to discourage anybody mm -hmm. from doing this, but I feel like if I am more honest about how difficult this process has been for me, it's actually going to motivate people to keep going. And I it's actually so. going to make them feel not so bad about themselves. Like if you know other people are having a hellish time, I mean, part of the reason I kept going for this many years is because I had other friends who were brutally honest with me about how horrific this publishing process has been for them. I mean, I have friends who've been submitting for longer than I have, more books than I have. Yeah. Um, and some of them have books coming out in the next few years and others of them didn't. And knowing their stories and understanding um, how many of us there are out there on this journey um, made me feel more confident in myself. It made me understand that this is not really a game where people with the most talent are the ones who rise to the top. There is a lot of luck and a lot of privilege in this. And, um, and there are, uh, there's a lot of just persistence in it, right? Um, some of the most brilliant writers I have ever known stopped submitting and they are no longer writers and they are doing other things with their lives. Um, and it's not because I have more fortitude that I got my book contract. It's because I had support when I needed it and um, the ability to keep going. And a lot of people don't have that available to them. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It's one of the things, you know, this podcast and really the whole platform has tried to harp on and really hammer on, which is in this game and the game being publishing let's just say not necessarily writing but publishing mm -hmm. there are some things in your control and there are vastly more things that are not and so whether or not an agent likes your book or an editor wants to buy it or xyz xyz go down the list even even for some people even that your life affords you the luxury of having an hour or two a day to sit down and write right some things are just not in your control and, and trying to encourage writers to then focus on the things that you can control. You know, what, what are the things that you actually do have some authority and autonomy over? And it sounds like, you know, to a certain degree, you almost, I don't want to say you have to have that, but it, but it seems to be tremendously helpful to almost disconnect your work and your expression from what happens in the publishing of it. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. No one should have to carry, like, I just carried so much shame through this process, Brian. I was always ashamed, right? Yeah. I'd go to like writing, you know, before COVID, right? I'd go to readings, I'd go to writing workshops, I'd, you know, I'd meet up with people with writing groups and, you know, people would ask me, you know, hey, did you find a home for that uh, book yet? And I would just feel so ashamed of myself. Like, what is wrong with me that I can't get a single book published? Um, and I just don't want people to feel that shame because it takes yeah. so much energy, first of all, yeah. and it really yeah. robs you of your creative process. It really mm. does. If you were just constantly feeling bad about the fact that you got your, you know, 100th rejection for a novel that you've been trying to publish, or you were told yet again that someone can't connect with your voice. I mean, that is like the most, oh, it's just, 
to me, that's just such a condescending type of rejection to say you can't connect with someone's voice because your right. voice is not something you can revise, right? Right. I mean, right. It's also my super voice cryptic. Is my like, voice. Is, I can't. <laughs> it, it, it's it's also kind of like it's kind of like a catch-all. You know what I mean? Like, like what does it even mean? I, you can't connect with the voice. It's kind of like, you know, if you're, if you're on a date and it doesn't work out, you're like, we just didn't, we just didn't click. There just wasn't right. a lot of energy or whatever. I haven't dated in like 20 years. So you can see how <laughs> in the lingo <laughs> I am. That's, but, pretty, that's a pretty accurate analogy. Though, right. right? But, like, yeah. But what does that mean? Yeah. I'd rather be just a no though. Right. I'd rather be just like, I'm sorry. I, I'm not going to be able to rep- represent yeah. you, uh, you know? Instead of, uh, you know, I can't connect with your voice or your, you know, it's the voice that doesn't work yeah. in this book. Because then I'm like, what, like my voice, like what, what can I change? What can I improve? How can I better myself? And, I, yeah. and look, look, agents, they don't, they work really hard and don't make enough money. At, and the same is true for a lot of small press uh, editors. So, you know, I don't expect people to personalize the rejection for me. There's just not enough time of day. But yeah. But when you hear some of these things as a writer, it just, it really is so demoralizing. And I know people don't mean to be demoralizing in their rejections, but, but when I think about all the part, the points in my life where a rejection letter hurt my feelings so much and how many weeks I then wasted not writing because I was Mm. so upset by that rejection. I mean, my gosh, I, I wasted so much time. So I feel like if we at least just talk about this more as writers that, you know, and alleviate some of that shame and embarrassment and humiliation yeah. that's part of the process, maybe more of us will keep writing. Yeah. I I'm, I'm like, preach it from the rooftops. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm all about, I am all, all about this message. So I, I want to ask a, uh, abstract question. I hope it, I hope it, I, hope it, uh, I can kind of unpack it a little bit, but you know, as you're sitting there with like, book number five or four that didn't wind up the way you're you had potentially expected it meaning you wanted to see in the world it didn't get published whatever um what is it you had to believe in order to start a new project like what was the furnace that kept you writing and didn't kind of flip you over to being like this isn't for me you know, it's interesting um, because I think a lot of these, you know, when, when I had tried so hard to publish some of these books, right, and I'd had rejection number 50, rejection number, you know, 60, um, I, I think taking short breaks from the submission process helped mm-hmm. and reminding me to put value and weight in other aspects of my life, mm. um, you know, Take, take some time to uh, read some books I enjoy, to watch like really bad reality television, to go to a park with my my daughters. I have three three daughters. I know you have two daughters. I've got three. So, so taking a break, like almost dissociating myself from the yeah. process a little bit really, really helped me. Um, I think too, just feeling like my writing still had value, just maybe not in that form at that time and hoping that it would hit eventually, right? Mm-hmm. It's a little bit like a lottery, right? Mm-hmm, because it's mm-hmm. not just that you have to write really well or tell a compelling story. You have to hit people at a time when they are open to receiving what you're trying to tell them. Um, so there's a lot of moving parts in this process. And I guess part of me felt like I understood 
that luck and chance was part of it. And that maybe this book that wasn't ready and connecting with someone now, maybe if I shelved it and worked on something else, it would next time. And that's, that's a lot of the same advice that I got from other writers was that yeah. once you start submitting one book, you should really be well on your way to writing the next book. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, um, I, I really appreciate that because it's this idea that, um, it, it's it it almost like I, I like you said it almost like disassociates you a little bit with the outcome of being like you're a writer and you put words on the page and that's what you do and the outcome's the outcome like published or not is kind of out again it's kind of outside of your control like you just said like there's a timing issue almost to it mm-hmm. um and and so disconnecting yourself from trying to control the timing which is like good luck with that you know um seems to be something that I think for a lot of writers out there, and the reason I'm asking is I know there's a lot of writers. I know them personally who have submitted a lot and they're struggling and they're like, how do I just keep going? How, how do I just keep doing this? And and these types of answers I think are really, or can be really encouraging for them. Yeah. And, and you know, we're not machines. We're human beings yeah. with feelings. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's important to not feel guilty when you need to walk away from the process for Mm -hmm. a while, because you're not, it's not a race, you're not losing out on anything, right? Do what you need to do to heal from this process, build that in, however, healing looks for you, engage in these other activities, build these other relationships and friendships, Um, spend some quiet time alone, Um, I think we need to find ways to restore us on this process, right? I mean, publishing is such a hamster wheel. Regardless of whether you are successful or not, we need to all get off of this hamster wheel once in a while and just not engage in the process and take some time to ourselves and to remember how much value that our words have, regardless of whether it results in a byline or a publishing contract. So Um, I, and I, and I did that. I mean, I wasn't like this robot publishing, you know, submitting query letters every single day of every week. I knew when I needed to walk away and really figure out who I was again and what I wanted to get out of it. And to ask myself from time to time, is it worth it? I mean, I think that's an important question. Is it worth it to me as a writer to get X book contract to publish X byline? I mean, is it worth it? And I, and I think we as writers need to ask ourselves that question. And if we find ourselves saying, you know, it's really not take a break, take, take a month yeah. off, take a year off, take 10 years off until you feel called to do it again. Yeah. Yeah. I totally, mm, I love all, I, I think this is going to hit so well with, with so many listeners out there who are kind of in that same spot and, you know, feel potentially feel frustrated of, yeah, believing they should be somewhere they're not, you know, which, which is easy yeah. to do as a person, you know, and it's even easier to do, I think, as a writer, I think as writers, it's easy to look around and be like, well, this person at 27 had sold 40 million copies of a book. What, what's wrong with me? And, Absolutely. You know, and everyone's and I, journey is different. Everyone's journey is different. Yeah. And there's, yeah. there's nothing like giving up is not, it's, it's okay. It's a, yeah. it's a reasonable solution to give up. In fact, before I got my first book contract, I actually did pretty much give up on the process. I had hit the 10 year mark of submitting six books or is it six books or seven at that point? Anyway, I hit the 10 year mark of trying to publish multiple books. 
And um, I sent out some more query letters. And, uh, you know, occasionally I would get an agent who wrote to me and said, send me your book, right? They, she, reads, she or he would read something online and be like, let me see what you're working on, right? But 10 and a half years into it, I was like, I'm done. I'm going to stop. Like, unless somebody solicits writing from me, um, I'm not going to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. And 11 years in is when a book, the book proposal that I sent to UGA Press for Southbound Um, I got a book contract for that. I had submitted it a year before. So, you know, it wasn't a new submission, but I, I, I had given up. I I was like, I need to walk away. I didn't know whether that decision was going to be a permanent one, whether it was going to be for five years or two years, but, but I had, I had given myself the gift of letting go and giving up. And it really, it really helped me at the time. That's what I needed to do. Yeah. Wow. So let's, let's change topics a little bit. One, one of the um, reasons I was so excited to interview you and we were talking about this a little bit before we start recording was um, you, you, you have, um, you know, many very active parts of your life. In fact, one of our first interviews we were going to do, you know, was rescheduled because you were taking part in a response to kind of the horrific, um, you know, violence that uh, was occurring to Asian Americans. And, and, and that was, that was something that was, you know, very much, I think it was the day of the day before it was, a, it was, you know, awful, yes. awful event. And so, you know, kind of taking this, this part of you, wh- where does the um, activism and the, you know, citizen of this world and um, this, this type of, you know, social and political engagement, how does that come into your work, into your storytelling or nonfiction writing? Like what place is there for you or for it in, in that area of your life? You know, that's an interesting question. Um, I'm going to start out saying something that is probably not super popular, actually, um, which is that the, the activism part of my life exists uh, for many reasons. But one of them is that um, I do not feel like we are going to make this world a better place by simply being writers, by simply putting our work out into the world. I think writing is a wonderful way to connect people with one another, to heal one another, to to be in community with one another. I think art is such a powerful medium of communication that expresses um, emotions and feelings and trauma in ways that nothing else can. Um, however, I've never felt that my books alone are going to make the world a better place. I just, I just don't. Um, there needs to be a prong to that. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's part of the reason why I've always sort of connected on the ground um, social justice work with my writing. I mean, I have, you know, part of my quote day job is writing about, uh, writing articles about things like uh, voting rights and mm-hmm. politics mm-hmm. And, and immigration. Um, and, um, and, and that work of course is more to inform, but, um, but being actively involved in say, getting out the vote or um, centering and uplifting and helping a community that has been um, has experienced horrific trauma, like the Atlanta area shootings, yeah. um, organizing a protest, organizing, um, you know, a letter writing campaign to uh, lawmakers, 
Um, that, that sort of nuts and bolts work has always felt more relevant to me. Um, and um, it's an easier way to move the needle, um, mm. I think, is when you make these personal uh, connections with people um, and, and help organize around or behind a cause or support others who are doing that work. Um, so that's kind of my priority. Mm -hmm. um, the writing, of course, of course, I think writing is powerful and important. And I, and I hope people connect with my books. Um, but, but I know that if I really want to get someone to the polls, it's not going to be because they read an essay in Southbound about, about voter suppression. It's going to be because I call them and I say, what can I do to help make sure that you get a chance to vote? What do you need from me? Do you need me to help you find transportation? Do you need a translator to help with your ballot? Um, do you need me to help walk you through the process of requesting an absentee ballot? That's the work that's going to move the needle, not someone picking up my book and feeling connected to, to it in some way. And, yeah. and I'm not trying to put down anybody's writing or my own writing. Yeah. I'm just saying I've seen enough as an organizer, as an activist to know what is the work that is absolutely required of us to say, end white supremacy, for example. Right. Right. Uh, it's not going to be people, it's probably not going to be people picking up and reading my books or anybody else's books. It's going to be the very grueling, on the ground, oftentimes tedious and boring work yeah, um, yeah, that yeah. comes <laughs> with helping people become empowered yeah. with one act at a time. So, th and that's, that's I, I totally get that. I mean, I, I think to um, promote change and, and that's open-ended either way, good change or bad change. Um, to do that in a short period of time, it takes a tremendous amount of energy. You know, ch change is generally difficult for most people in most circumstances. Um, if it were easy, it would probably have already happened. And so to, to elicit change takes a lot. And, and I could see how, you know, the power that's within the pages, even though I deeply believe in it is not as powerful as being like, I'll come pick you up mm -hmm. and drive you like that, that. That's a very different kind of like tactile media change. Right. And so what itch does the nonfiction scratch? I mean, if, if, if you're, you know, actively engaging in, um, you know, social justice and activism during the day and yet still writing nonfiction on kind of a similar topic. Right. And I, I read through a bunch of your essays and they're all incredibly beautiful. So if anybody uh, is interested, yeah. Um, and so, and so, um, like what, what itch does, does actually writing it out in a nonfiction form, how, what, what does that serve for you? You know, when I write any sort of creative writing, whether that is, you know, essays or whether it's short stories or novels, you know, it's, it is a way for me to feel less alone in the world and a mm -hmm. way for me to feel more connected with other people. I mean, it's a completely self-serving thing to be quite honest. I, I feel lonely. I feel isolated. I'm feeling these feelings and I don't know whether anyone else feels them. And I want to understand, is this right? Is this normal? Does anyone else have these experiences? 
And that's the feeling in me that causes me to write an essay, that causes me to write a novel. Um, I want to understand all these moving parts. Do they are they pieces of a jigsaw puzzle that eventually come together to put together this one um, picture? And um, and why am I not understanding something uh, a, a particular issue? So it really is very it's 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 a very very egocentric process yeah. for me yeah. in some ways, right? I write journalism to to inform, to teach people, to raise awareness of an issue that they might not be aware about. But for me, for me to write creative writing is really it's it's really I'm the audience. I mean, yeah, I yeah. you know, it may seem as if I'm writing to to show something or to you know, but I, I'm trying to figure out myself. I mean, I'm, you know, I, I'm a mixed race, multi-ethnic woman of color, brown woman. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm trying to understand why it is that I'm so involved in organizing and activism. And what is it, what, what is it about my identity that compelled me to do this work? And I don't know. So I'm trying to answer the question in the form of a book. Yeah. And I hope this book is valuable <laughs> to other people and, and maybe maybe they have the same question that I have. Yeah. But um, but at the end of the day, when I am doing creative writing, it really is a sort of me having a conversation with myself. Yeah. I I love that. And I, I think I, I think that's something that's maybe forgotten sometimes in the creative writing process, which is that um it's good to be selfish with, with your creativity and your expression, you know, and there's lots of places in our life. It's not great to be selfish. <laughs> there's lots of places we should not be selfish. Um, but in some places, especially to me, you know, when you're writing creatively, um, it's like a soul expression, you know, oftentimes people are, are tackling stories or themes or ideas that have been with them for a really long time. And so, and so that is, if that's kind of the North star, what comes out of that needs to be as, egocentric and and centered on you because it is your expression it is coming out of you it's, your, Absolutely. it's, it's almost your gift to the world in a way yeah yeah i mean one hopes right i mean one hopes yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. asterisks exactly <laughs> one of the questions i've gotten a lot as a as an author is who is this book for yeah and i was like truthfully it's just for me it really i mean like yeah. i hope other people like who's the audience right i have no idea who the audience right. is for my books i mean hopefully my my uh, publishers are not listening to this right. podcast. They I, don't will. <laughs> I don't know who my books are for. Truthfully, yeah. my books yeah. are for me. They've always been for me. They're not even for my children, right? I dedicated yeah. Southbound to my three daughters. I mean, they're not even, the, books, yeah. the book was always for me. The part yeah. in Earth, it's always, it was always for me. It was always me trying to figure out a problem or understand something, uh, understand human nature, understand the world. Um, but, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I didn't write my creative writing. I never think of the audience. I only think of the audience when I'm reporting, when I'm doing mm -hmm. journalism. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there are some essays in Southbound that are very heavily reported. Um, and so part of that is maybe to also prove a point to someone else, but, but really even the most, even the essays that involve the most research are really just me answering simple questions like, why is it this way? Why are yeah. things this way? And and how do we get out of it? How do we change it? Mm, I love it. So, um, I, I we have time maybe for one very quick set, but um, I just have to go here too be, before before we get to our final five questions. So, um, you teach in an MFA program, and yeah. um, I took an MFA as well. 
uh, part of the MFA crowd. And I'm curious, what do you feel like you've learned from your students while being a teacher of an MFA? Gosh, that's such a great question. I have learned so much about my students. Um, And I've learned so much from them in the Mm -hmm. writing process. Um, You know, gosh, I I really appreciate how they are constantly challenging form. You know, it's Mm -hmm. amazing what all the quote rules of writing that you learn, whether you are a formal student of writing in a creative writing program, or whether you are, you are simply learning from online classes or conversations with other writers, you know, you're, you're sort of given a set of, of, loose rules that people tell you you need to just sort of abide by or some kind of process right every day is an example of yeah one yeah rule that, that is thousand just, words a day yeah it, it's just absurd <laughs> to me I mean yeah. good, I mean I'm happy for people who can write every day but that's not something I've ever been able to do um so I've just learned a lot about how important it is to to break rules and to realize that the, the rules are really whatever you whatever make you get words on the page. I mean, my, mm-hmm. my students prove this to me every day. They show me how they are writing in ways that if, you know, if, if, if they had given this to uh, another teacher five, 10 years ago, um, you know, probably would have said things like, this isn't really what an essay looks like, mm-hmm. right? This isn't really how a novel should be. Well, we know that so much of those rules are crap. And I'm reminded by the ways that they are, so much more mature than I am in this process in the sense that they just disregard all the sort of common rules and standards of writing that, that we've been brainwashed with over the years. Right. Um, and they're just so irreverent about, about the process itself. And, and it's, my students have really caused me to loosen up as a writer mm. um, and to not even take my writing so seriously because they're giving me such real raw stuff right now and it's perfect in its form, right? Regardless of whether it's a first draft or a fifth draft. I mean, they've really reminded me how important it is to just to just be authentic in your writing and to and to turn off the noise of of what this is supposed to be about and what mm-hmm. process is supposed to be about. And and I I'm, I just cherish that about them. Oh, I love it. I I I love um I love what you just said about you know, the, the, the real key is just getting good words on the page mm-hmm. and whether or not you need to break a form or you need to break a convention or a norm, you know, kind of the intro on this podcast is it, I say like, it's in the end, it's all about getting good words on the page because when that opens up for a writer, regardless of, of what the, you know, I, I, I want to say like convention, regardless of the convention, you know, so much in the writing life opens up so much expression and like of that beauty that we were talking about becomes accessible when you can just get it onto the the page. And that might not look like what people say it should, but that's, that is totally okay. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, here we are at the end of our time together. That went so fast. Holy cow. I know. It always, (laughs) honestly, it's like, I feel like, I feel like maybe I should start doing these like a three hour podcast. We're just going to go deep. Like, it's just going to be like, we're going to like go deep on these things. Um, but yeah, it went so fast. And here's the point of the show. Uh, I ask these same five questions to every single guest and I do it for two reasons. The first person, the first reason is because I'm just super selfish and I like to hear the answers and it's my show. So I get to ask the questions I want. So that's what I like to hear. Second thing is kind of to the point we were just making, um, a lot of writers 
think they have to do writing in one way or the other. And I think when you hear the diversity of answers that people say, that the, the different ways they get through the writing life and all the you know kind of different points, you realize what's most important is to figure out your way to write. Um, that's the most that's important true. thing in this. Yeah. And, and I hope that these answers kind of inspire that. I hope these answers kind of help people see, oh, wow, it's okay if I do things a little differently because it is. So with that said, my friend, let us jump into the first question, which is this. What is the one word, the one word that best describes you? Persistent. Yeah, I can see that. Boy, I can see, boy, I can see that. (laughs) Your story, your life story, you know, when, when they write the uh, biography of you, they're going to call it persistence. You know, I mean, I, I just, (laughs) I, I love, um, you know, the encouragement of your persistence. It's, it's, it's like touched me. I've, I felt it in this interview. That's so sweet. Thank you, Brian. Yeah. Okay. So second question, um, if you had to pick a spirit book, right? So this is a book that like, if you died and you were reincarnated as a book, like it just best resembles who you are, what book would that be? This was such a tough question. So I, I would have to say Audre Lorde's Sister Outsider. I first read read it. It's a, you know, it's a collection of her speeches and essays. I first read it 25 years ago, maybe more than that. And it really was the most groundbreaking piece of reading that I had read up until then. And I reread it recently. And it's so timely and mm. just transformative in, in how a woman sees themselves in the world. Um, it's about identity, but it's about so much more. And, um, and yeah, that, that would be the book. I mean, it's like, it's like my personal Bible. Oh, I love it. I'm going to look it up. So my, I'm going to put on the, the Kindle tonight. Okay. Uh, question number three, is there a specific tool? It can be anything at all. Um, you know, pencil, software, chair, software, whatever that you absolutely must have to write. So in an ideal world, I will always have natural lighting. Mm. I am so much more productive. I'm so much more awake. Um, I'm so much more self-aware and alert to my surroundings when there's sunlight. So very lucky in the back of our house, we have a sunroom. And so I write in a particular chair in that sunroom, but really the location doesn't matter if I'm getting light. If I'm at the library and I'm near a window or a coffee shop or wherever I am, if I'm getting natural light, I feel much more focused on my ability to create. Oh, I love it. I love it. I'm, and I'm with you on that one. Natural light. I used to write in the mornings mm-hmm. and, um, you know, before I used to, you know, work a full-time job and it, it was, it was so some mornings it was so hard just to even be like, am I awake? Like, am I even here? Like where am I? Cause I'm so tired in the morning. So I get that natural light thing. Totally. Okay. Question number four, this can be an interesting answer. Um, how do you deal with the constant ups and downs of the writing life? Yeah. So the only way I made it this long was because of my writing community. I mm. am in text chats. I'm in Slack groups. I'm in Twitter DM groups. I'm in email chains. Um, I am constantly in communication with other writers and it's, these are safe spaces for me to just vent, mm-hmm. um, to, to cry, to celebrate, um, with these people who are just literally always holding me up and carrying me to the finish line. 
and support me, whether uh, that means telling me it's okay to quit something Mm -hmm. um, and to give up, or whether that means saying, you know what, you've really got something there. Do you think you can keep going for another six months? Um, I couldn't do it without this community. And I, you know, most of my communities, obviously due to COVID, but even before that are small groups of people that I'm connected with online. And um, if I didn't have them, I surely would not have a book out because I mean, I, 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 you know, I need writers understand other writers like no one else. And, and having that community has just been crucial to my ability to, to just keep plugging along. Oh, I love it. I love it. One of, one of our lines is writers need writers. Mm-hmm. And so we're really aligned. I'm really aligned to that. Um, that sentiment. I agree. It's completely critical for writers to have other, who else can you be like, I have voices in my head and they talk right. to me and tell me what to do. And you, they, and you don't like wind up being institutionalized. You know what I mean? Like, Right. Or even just like, I mean, I sometimes type in these groups. I hate writing. I hate it (laughs) so much. It's awful. I quit. I'm not doing it again. And sometimes I need people to be like, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's good. But Mm -hmm. I think it's probably, you know, you know, or, or other people will say, yeah, you know, take a break. You know, that's great. I, I need to know that people, you know, people, I need people who hold me accountable and call me out on my bullshit but are also doing that in a very supportive way. Right. 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 And that's like a, that's a really fine line to walk that I think only other writers understand. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. Okay. Last question for you. If you could give one piece of advice to new writers out there, what would it be? It's going to be something that you touched on earlier, Brian, which is that you are a writer regardless of what your publication history is. Yeah. You are a writer because you write, because you are committed to the art, because you have something important to say, because you feel so incredibly compelled to tell your stories and try to put your value as a writer based on your writing and not your publication credits, because Mm -hmm. your value as a writer comes from the act of actually writing. It doesn't come from publishing Mm -hmm. and knowing that line, knowing that difference between the two, that demarcation mm-hmm. is so important and make sure that you, you put your energy and your spirit and your creation in part as part of the creation process and not spend so much time thinking about your value as a writer based on what you publish. Yeah. That's such a beautiful way to wrap up this episode. I am just so um, so some of the things you said, you know, re- really hit home for me as someone, someone who's been writing for a long time and ha- haven't, um, been able to, to have work published. Mm-hmm. Like I wanted, you know, kind of hearing your words and hearing your story, you know, I fell into that second camp of being like, you know, th- this, this is a journey, you know, every step's a journey and, um, or every day is a journey. And so I, I've been just so I'm touched by this interview. I'm so kind of, I, I love your energy and your spirit. And I'm so grateful to have spent this, um, this hour with you. Thank you so it much. My honor. Thank you so much for Thank having you. me. I think this is such an important podcast. <laughs> I think it's, Thank you. So many of us need this. We need this yeah. really honest talk about what it's like to be a writer. And so I'm so grateful and appreciative of what you do, Brian. And, well, and thank, thank you. you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. The pleasure is all mine. Thank you.
Thank you again to Anjali for her time. If you haven't yet, please check us out on iTunes. You can leave us a rating and review. Also, check us out on Instagram and Facebook. I am starting to post regularly of all of my travels. So would love to take you along on this new adventure of mine. Lastly, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful week of writing.